Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everyone. Before I introduce our guest for today, I wanted to remind you that if you can partner with us to keep us going, please, please do so. Go to patreon.com indoctrination to become a supporter. If you wanted to be able to support the podcast in any other way, if you wanted to be able to fund any part of it outside of Patreon, please also let us know. We would love to be able to keep it going. So again, go to patreon.com indoctrination to become a subscriber. You will also get a lot of extra and special content. I thank you so much. And my podcast team thanks you so much and all the listeners and the future guests. So for today, we have part two of my conversation with India Oxenberg. She's a successful film producer, writer, and actress. India is a national ambassador for RAIN, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. She is also the daughter of our previous guest, Catherine Oxenberg, whom I worked with while India was involved in Nexium that infamous multi-level marketing company that was later exposed for being many things, including subjugating women and creating a master-slave relationship. While in Nexium, India was introduced to the cult's inner circle and was groomed to be a sexual partner of Nexium's founder and leader, Keith Ranieri. In 2020, she published the book Still Learning, a memoir, She produced and starred in the documentary series, Seduced, Inside the Nexium Cult. And I am very happy to have been able to help India, to help her mother. But really, I honor India's hard work and India's bravery. It's not easy to talk about these experiences, to help others who have gone through them while you're still doing the hard work of healing yourself. I give her a lot of credit. Here's part two of my conversation with India. The whole idea of deficiency is an interesting one. It answers for a lot of people when people ask, and I'm sure you were asked this question, which is a hard question to be asked. Same thing with people in abusive relationships. Why did you stay? When you started noticing or when you got involved in DOS and you saw what was happening, it does become one of the answers to those questions that you're asked about why you stayed because you're trying to move forward fixing the thing that they convinced you is this problem that you can only get fixed there and that you need to get fixed in order to be happy, in order to have success. I think in that moment, it's the same thing. Can I hear that as they need for me to need to be fixed? Because there would be no necessity for them if they asked me how I was doing and I said, I'm good. So right? That they wouldn't know what to do with that. They would have to convince me I'm not. Which they're really good at. (laughs) Because they're the hammer. So everyone has to be a nail. And so I'm curious about that, about when that became 
part of your healing where you were thinking, and maybe it's still a work in progress where you're thinking, maybe I don't have these deficiencies. Maybe they just needed for me to believe it. Yeah, that has been an evolutionary process. <laughs> and it's not a one, it's not one and done like healing. It's one step after another that sometimes feels like you're going forward and sometimes feels like you're going backwards. But these beliefs that were implemented into my you know, way of thinking were really challenging to undo. And I'm still undoing a lot of them. And sometimes I will have, you know, memories about things even now, even years later that I never really thought of. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's really backwards. That doesn't apply to me anymore. And I think that my first introduction into like confronting that, what we're talking about, just kind of question it, questioning beliefs that, that don't serve you was actually very soon after I left, I started to work with a deep programmer named Diane Ben Scooter. And I remember we would talk sometimes for two hours a day. <laughs> we probably spoke 50 to 100 hours together all in all. And I remember saying, I have so much more time now that I don't spend all of my time worrying about what's wrong with me and talking about my issues. And she's like, isn't that nice? And I said, yeah, actually, like, I had forgot that normal life wasn't about your issues. And that it was actually about it makes me cry, like, <laughs> because I didn't realize that life didn't have to be about that. It didn't have to be about scrutinizing yourself 24 seven, it didn't have to be about finding your faults all the time, or being readily available and open to 100% feedback 24 seven. Like, that's not how life is, unless you're in a a work environment where your boss is respectfully giving you feedback on your job, are people just there to just bring you down and, you know, pick at you and all of the, the areas where they perceive you to be inadequate. That's not normal. And so I had to really just grieve that, 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 that had been how my life was for so many years. And that, that had become normal for me to expect and experience that kind of abuse. And I had to really like call it what it was, which was an abusive environment, not a healthy environment. That was my first introduction to questioning that stuff was, wow, I have so much more time in my life now that that's not my life. And that I could maybe be like other people who just enjoy their life or make mistakes and it's okay. And like, you know, you get a parking ticket and you pay the fine and you move on. You don't just get a parking ticket and, you know, sit in a room and journal for 18 hours about how screwed up you are. And how mindless you are and how, you know, the lack of your lack of presence relates to your inner deficiency and all of your problems are related to that. Like, that's crazy. That's how I was thinking. And I look back at some of my journals of when I was in Nexium and in DOS and I'm like, wow, that's a really, really, really disturbed person. That's a person that is really creating a, an inner hell <laughs> for themselves. So I think that's where I was for a long time. Okay. Right. You know, it's also how it is for people. And I want to make mention of this people who are in relationships with narcissists, with kind of malignant narcissists. It's the same thing. I need to better myself. I need to do it better. I need to, you know, you're always sort of. That was my like journal on repeat. I would see that written like over and over and over again. <laughs> mm, wow. I didn't realize that that was because of what I was experiencing mostly with Allison Mack. I mean, yes, Keith, of course, did a lot of damage. But Allison was really my main 
groomer and abuser because I was forced to live with her. I want to be able to talk about that. And first, I want to say when people ask about what kind of person, you know, gets involved in groups like this. And uh, and again, as we've talked about, as you've heard about, no one goes out to join a cult. No, unless you're really, really, really into that. And I, I haven't met a, I haven't met a lot of people that are that way. <laughs> Right. No, I mean, that that would be definitely a masochistic pursuit if you really knew ahead of time all that it had in store for you and all that it was going to play with your head. Uh, and you said, that sounds great. Where do I sign up? Then that would mean there's something definitely wrong with how much you feel you need to punish yourself in your life for no reason. Exactly. But besides that, I think when you think about all the journaling that you did, all the introspection and and people will say, you know, what's wrong with people who get involved in cults? Well, It's usually people's best qualities that cult leaders find appealing because they know that people who are guided by their conscience, who are willing to see their part in things, who are wanting to be open to changing and self-betterment, are the ones who are going to journal for 18 hours, are the ones who aren't going to say, screw you, I'm good, I'm fine, leave me alone. They'll say, you know, they'll have that moment. Oh, no, what? you know, maybe they're right. And I do need to look at my part. I do need to look at how to make myself better. So it's usually the the softer, the nicer, the better qualities that are taken advantage of. And so it doesn't have to be something inherently wrong with you. It could be that there's something inherently beautiful about you. It's just that abusers and manipulators know how to zero in on that and take advantage of it. Yeah. And I, I see that a lot with the people in Nexium. And that, I mean, it makes me so sad when I see people who are still very loyal to the group because I just see it as them being used and I think that's the that's really what it is when you break it down it's just you know using people to benefit the leadership because they can and I just think this is bigger it's just such a big issue of human rights that I wish that that becomes more of a mainstream topic to to discuss is just the manipulation of human beings to the point where they just don't have their own autonomy anymore. And so that's kind of why I still really want to talk about this because I do think that it's a human rights violation and that it is a form of modern slavery and that that sometimes people are being severely abused and in the name of either a religion or one human who they think is like a religious figure. And it's just so not right. and. I know that it's kind of, you know, optimistic to think that talking about it is going to get rid of cults because cults have been around for hundreds of years and they will continue to probably exist forever in some way or form. But that if more people did realize what the effects are on human beings, maybe they would be less likely to support or turn a blind eye. I hope so. I hope so. Right. If people had more of an understanding, and I think you're right, even though a lot of people are interested in cults now, I think cults have always existed and they will always exist because there are always going to be people born in this world who either have that kind of personality that where they gravitate towards wanting to be open or do self-betterment. And there are also going to be people born in this world who say, hmm, I love being a puppet master and I love taking control and it feeds me in this in this way where you know my conscience doesn't get tweaked because oh look I don't have one. <laughs> oh my god. And so, so true. that's right. 
And so because those kinds of people will coexist on this planet, I think there will always be cults. So it's always going to be a timely issue. And that's why it's always good to do education. I put together a curriculum, a high school curriculum for an organization, and it never got used. They actually sent me, I put it the whole whole thing together. It's a whole year long curriculum for high school students about coercion. And the letter I got back, even though they asked me to put it together was, we're going to table this for now. And there was this thought that, you know, it's actually of all the things that we need to teach kids about, you know, science and math, et cetera, et cetera. We really don't have time for that. And I suppose I understand that, except if they're helping people move on into their future and there are people out there who basically, I mean, I see cult leaders as thieves, the people who are going to rob people from their life and rob their freedom then does it matter if they know trigonometry, if they're stuck, you know, on a compound? So, and if they're in an abusive relationship and they didn't see it coming and they didn't know about the red flags. So I would love for it to be utilized. I have a whole file. It's really interesting. It's very, I think it's really needed. I wonder if it would be something that we could bring to a college and just like test out with a university group and use, you know, humans like myself as a, as examples of that just really pinpoint that this is something that really does affect people in times of transition I mean I wish that something like seduced would be shown in high schools because that I think would really help people to like quickly be able to identify some of those red flags before they enter into the world or even on a college campus but I do think that there needs to be more education about this stuff because it is a human problem (laughs) it's not cult specific like You don't have to be in a cult to be manipulated. Like you can be manipulated elsewhere. It just happens if you're uneducated about the way it works. Right. I mean, for all the people who get involved in multi-level marketing, I think, oh, that's just, it's so awful and it's so sad and it takes you so off course and it leaves you broke. But yes, it is a human rights issue, I think. And it's a way to help keep people safe or safer. Going back to when you were talking about how, yes, Keith was a presence in your world, but the person who you had the most interaction with was Allison Mack because you were living together. I think people don't realize that, that sometimes there is a cult within a cult, just like DOS. And then also the relationships that you have are another kind of cult within a cult. And so what was that like for you in your relationship with Allison, if you can expand on that? So challenging. And I think that's why I had such a hard time this summer when all of the sentencings were being done and uh, including Allison. But it was complicated because our relationship was weird and it was unnatural and it was forced. And it was also something that I really had to get on board with and be positive about. And she's not somebody that I would have naturally picked to be a friend. So There were a lot of things that I had to do that really compromised myself to just be accepted by her. And so I felt really afraid when I was around her because she would be hot and cold with, you know, her personality and the way that she related to people. And oftentimes I would be chosen as like her most special pet. And then sometimes I would be really disregarded as, you know, an entitled little princess who didn't know myself and had no value. So like, it was really quite extreme. Um, Like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And 
so I would feel, I often felt like I was walking on eggshells around her, just trying to make sure that I didn't get in trouble. But she would also remind us, including I say us because the other women that I that were in DOS, there were four of us in what they referred to as a pod. And so in my pod, I was one of four. And she would remind us that part of the program was to keep us destabilized, basically. She wouldn't use that word, but she would say like on our toes, where we never really knew when the hammer was going to come down. And that if we got too complacent or too comfortable, that would be an opportunity for her to step in and make us uncomfortable. And she would say things like that. And she had that position of power and there wasn't an on or off switch for DOS. DOS was always on. And so sometimes I would, you know, sit back and maybe relax a little bit with someone who I thought was also my friend, but with the knowledge that this person had total control of me at the same time. But I didn't really want to think like that all the time because that was too disturbing. So it was like I was straddling this world of what I wanted DOS to be and what it really was. And that was a scary place to be. And it was a very controlled life. She basically controlled where I went, what I ate, who I was with, what I did, where I lived, what I weighed. I mean, it was an extreme amount of control that a human being can have on another human being. And that is something that I've also had to really deeply reconcile with, that I was a grown woman who was being controlled by another grown woman. And I think it's difficult for people to see women on women abuse because we're so used to being like seeing a man and a woman in a abusive dynamic that it's weird. And I felt very shameful the fact that this had happened to me from someone who could be my peer almost. And so I, I felt so inferior to her. And I was in, in that situation. And, and, and part of my own healing has been having to really recognize that I'm not that, that I'm not inferior to her or to really to anybody and that my needs are not inferior to anybody, although I was trained to believe that they were. There are different definitions of strength, I think, and, and weakness and uh, strength isn't the power that you take away from somebody else. That's easy if you're a manipulator. That's just pushing someone down so you can raise yourself by standing on their backs. That doesn't take strength. And that doesn't mean the person's inferior uh, who you're standing on. Strength, I think, comes in the form of reining in if you have certain emotional needs where you Notice that you take advantage of moments and other people and learning how to have self-control. Self-control takes a lot more strength than just unleashing on others and being calculating. For people who might have that as part of their nature, potentially, uh, that's easy. Being strategic and calculating, you know, that's like low-hanging fruit. And for people who, are, who don't think that way, they also don't know that people behave like that because they haven't seen it and they don't know how to recognize it because it's so different from the way their mind works. We assume that what's true for us is true for other people. And if we're going to be honest with other people, we assume people are being honest with us. So was that part of what happened between the two of you? Absolutely. Because if you would have asked me in the beginning of my relationship with Allison, if she was a... (laughs) 
you know, manipulative person, I would have been like, no, she's a good person. Like she, look at what she does with her time. Look at how she lives her life. Even though I didn't really know her that well, I, I believed those things about her because she was in this organization, which I really at a certain point believed was very good. So I was blinded by my own projections in some ways. I was also led to believe certain things about her and about the organization that were not true. I also had blinders because of the way that I think and the way that I see the world. So that was absolutely a factor. Right. I think, you know, controllers also, hmm, they benefit, unfortunately, from people projecting and reinterpreting and kind of making something guilty seem innocent. It happens way too often because we want that to be true. And I and I actually think and and I'll go I go back to this because I think that my relationship with Allison is really complicated because I also see her as a victim of Keith Ranieri as well. Not only was she a perpetrator, but also was severely abused by Keith directly too. And so I think that there was a lot of grief that I experienced during her time of sentencing this summer that I didn't expect to feel. And I just felt so sad. Like so sad for her, but also so grateful that that wasn't me. And so that was just a lot to process and 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 also to recognize that this person had had lost her conscience. Like she was not the same person that she had entered Nexium as she was when she was being tried. And that was really sad because that was, in my opinion, due to what Keith Raniere did to her. And maybe she was a broken person before and that that was easy to continue to break her down because of that. I think that's more of what really happened. I don't think that she was a monster from her root, but I do think that she had lost her ability to empathize with people. And so she was easier to use that she wanted to appease Keith and really get his approval and be the best person in his line of slaves. I mean, like, that's a crazy statement to even say, but that is what she wanted. And she would say those types of things. And so I feel badly that she has lost so much of her life so far, and that she is now going to be in prison for three years. But I also recognize that that's somebody who is a danger in society, because she has lost herself. And that she needs to spend time rebuilding her capacity to empathize with people. And if she wasn't able to do it these past three years under house arrest, then maybe that's why the judge has given her this, this three-year sentence in jail and that she has the opportunity to use the resources in prison to rehab herself because she has apparently recognized that what Keith has done and what Nexium has done and what DOS was, was bad. And so for me, that's a huge achievement for her to even recognize and be able to say that what she did was wrong. And I think that's a huge leap from going from where she was, which was so extreme. I'm going down with the ship. Keith is a God. He's a guru. He's a Messiah, whatnot, to then actually cut to recognizing, wow, this was bad. And what I did was wrong. That's huge. And so even though she might not have her conscience totally repaired, I think that she has the opportunity to maybe have another life when she's out of prison. Whereas I don't see that with Claire Bronfman. I see her as someone who's like 
so far gone that she hasn't even been able to really admit that anything that they did was bad. And when you say so far gone and that she hasn't been able to admit, what do you think is different there? I don't think she had the support of a, of her family in the same way that Allison might have. I don't think that Claire had anything outside of her work with Nexium and her relationship with Keith to go back to, if that makes sense. And, and I know what that feels like to have that vacancy of, I don't know who I am without this. And I feel like Claire Bronfen is very much that person. And maybe she's even, maybe she is more of a sociopath than I know. And that's another, that's a whole other can of worms. But I really do feel like she's lost herself in this to the point where she can't have access to herself anymore to even question it. Okay, right. So I understand your sadness and I understand the conflicted feelings that you have knowing that there is this pyramid, right? So whoever's sort of under the leader is influenced, changed by him or her in that way. And so it's hard to know if these people would have done these things without Keith or without the group. It's hard to know and it's hard to say. One hopes not, but when you question it, it can give you pause. You can wonder if it was that the group fostered this or if it just gave them the right fit for their personality. Okay, so you also said something about how about people needing to really look at their conscience. There's this idea, I think, within a lot of groups about suffering that it's somehow a value and it's for growth. And I think that cuts off people's conscience too, that if somebody is sort of lying in a puddle of tears, that's a good thing. And if they're shaking uncontrollably or if they stop getting their period because they're underweight or whatever it is, that's somehow good. It's like the equation gets turned around and what's bad is good and what's good is bad. It's crazy, but that is so true. And I think that is really how a lot of cult theories and beliefs work. They're totally backwards. And that you become accustomed to that way of thinking. And then when you get out of a, of a group like that, you have to actually go back and question everything. Because there are areas where they have snuck in beliefs that really don't serve you at all and that just serve the group. But you've been trained to believe that everything that you've gone through and everything that you've done was for your own higher good and really for the higher good of the group. And that's not right. And so that's something that I've had to go back and reevaluate because it is a lot of backwards thinking. And the suffering was a huge thing. It was like you were not allowed to suffer, but you were also really not allowed to show emotions that were not positive unless they were controlled. And they had a lot of um, teachings around concepts uh, like, what do they call them? I'm glad I'm not forgetting. I'm, I'm glad I'm forgetting them. Right. But they're, uh, uh, they're like communication and being at cause was one of their major pillars in their education system, which was about being the causer or the creator of your emotional responses and reactions to the world, which is a great theory in itself. It's about personal responsibility, but in action, it actually 
really represses your emotions as a human being because you're constantly trying to control your actual impulses and feelings about things because you're told that they are wrong and illogical. You're trying to change yourself into being somebody who is more logical and in control. And in doing so, you suppress your actual emotions to the point where you don't feel them at all. And you think that that is like enlightenment when really you're like dying inside because you don't have access to your authentic self. You have access to a version of yourself who you think you're supposed to be. That's very repressed. Oh, it's so heavy. We could talk about that for an hour. That's amazing. I know, I know, but that is really what it feels like. And I know you know this because you work with so many people from so many sorts of groups, but it is heavy, but that is, that's where the human rights issue is. That's where these people are thieves because they are stealing from you the ver- the most precious thing that you have, which is your ability to think and do things for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And protect yourself because if you, if things don't register anymore, if someone then does something to you that's wrong and you've learned to not be angry about it, then you then don't have that sense inside that something bad is happening here because you're not having the natural reaction to it that alerts you to something being wrong. Yeah, and that's why you can be abused so severely. And and I, and I see that so clearly with myself in DOS and to the point where it took me six months, maybe a little more after leaving Nexium, to even be able to say that anything sexual had happened to me. Like that's how disconnected I was from what I was experiencing. That's how much I wasn't feeling um, things in my body. That's how how much confusion I had in my mind. I remember that there were certain things that were still intact, and any time that I would express them. I would be given a justification for why those feelings were wrong. So I, I remember even just when one time I, w- I was with Keith Ranieri and I was in a situation where he was abusing me sexually. And I, I didn't realize that what I was feeling inside was my body's warning system of like, this is wrong. This is bad. I don't like this. I don't want this. But I because I couldn't express any of those things because I wasn't allowed to say that. And I wasn't allowed to say that to him for specifically, my body was on hyperdrive. Like it was screaming inside, like, get, get out of here. But I felt like there's something wrong with me that I'm feeling these feelings. And I thought those feelings were inappropriate. And they meant that I wasn't evolved enough to be around him, that I was insecure, that I had vulnerabilities that I didn't want to deal with. But I was also being told that those feelings were my problem that I had to fix. And so I felt this anger towards my body for, for behaving and feeling this way. Like, what's wrong with you? Why, why can't you just be okay with this? Well, why you can't be okay with this is because this is not okay. And that is the thing that I have now had to start to rebuild and build that trust with myself again, rather than really feeling betrayed by myself because I didn't listen to those warning signs, but I was in a situation where I could not safely express those things. So I just really had to just internalize it and change it into something that made it more tolerable, that made it survivable. That's so powerful. Thinking about it from, I guess, a leader's point of view, 
basically what they're saying is, if you're upset about what I'm doing, I don't want to hear about it. And I don't want to have to take any responsibility. And I can't handle that. And I'm going to develop a world around me with its own societal norms where everyone needs to be happy with everything. And if you're unhappy, keep it to yourself. I mean, that's so immature at its core, right? <laughs> I know. Right? Exactly. It sounds like a total tyrant, like the 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 guy in the sandbox you don't want to play with. <laughs> well, right. I mean, and I think that's a perfect example because I think so many people who run cults really are children. They haven't developed into fully formed human beings who can tolerate things. That's why they have to develop their own world. It's sort of like a little prince idea, but with pathology. Uh, and and so I think that there is this, this vision that I have of a lot of cult leaders that they would not like it. But um, when they are putting people on the hot seat and going on a tirade, I picture them in a toy store, not getting the toy that they wanted and having a tantrum. And they also don't like to be told no. So they're going to have another tantrum. And yeah, I think that they learn how to have controlled tantrums. And have it be manipulative tantrums so that they turn it back on you. That's when it gets slick. It is so slick. And that's such a good point because I think we're really used to tolerating a lot of tyrannical behavior <laughs> and, and that accepting it when really, if you're, ha I, I, I'm learning now that if you're having a reaction to something, it could just be that you're having a reaction and it's a trigger and maybe it's inappropriate, but a lot of the time it is a boundary violation. And that's something that I've had to kind of start to train myself to remember because my default is to go to, I've done something wrong and I've upset somebody. But the truth is that if you are having that kind of strong reaction, it's something to look at, just be open to not judge it. And that's, challenging, especially when you're having such a overwhelming feeling that you just kind of want to get rid of. It's easier to just judge it and, and call it, you know, inappropriate or bad or inconvenient. But I find a lot of nuggets of gold <laughs> when I actually like lean into those things. And I'm like, wow, there was a lot more here that I just didn't want to deal with. And, and that it gave me, it actually gives me relief to go into it rather than just, you know, shut it down immediately because I don't want to feel uncomfortable with it in the moment. Right. Okay. So you've been through the ringer and you have had to really work through so much and so much abuse and emotional, physical, sexual, I mean, you know, it, it affected you on every level and the after effects of still having, you know, questions about yourself. When you started the first episode talking about how you're a very different person now and you're very different than you were four years ago, I'd love to come back to that. And if you can kind of describe who you feel you are now, just in terms of also that self-definition, which I think is really important to be able to do. So how are you different now? Uh, you know, I really think I just like myself a lot more than I used to. And that's a big uh, achievement for me to actually be able to just be with myself and, and look in the mirror and say like, you're a good person and that I love you. And that, that is something that I didn't do before. Like I didn't even look at myself in the mirror because I didn't feel me. And so I think one of the biggest changes has just been this recognition that I have value in the world. 
as just being a human being and that I don't have to prove it to anybody. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to jump through hoops and do a whole pony show. I can just be myself and that's good enough. And anything else from there is, you know, I can pat myself on the back, (laughs) but, but I, I do, I just do feel like in a basic way, just that, that feeling of love and care for myself is back. And that I think that that's so valuable. And I just feel so grateful that I can even feel that again, because I didn't for a long time. And I also just know that now I'm able to think about my future a lot easier. I'm able to see a future for myself. Sometimes I still struggle with that. Um, but that I'm willing and excited about things, whereas I wasn't before. And I actually couldn't think about my future because I didn't know what I wanted. And it was really more based on what other people wanted for me. So that's been a huge change to be like, wow, I want things in the future and that's okay. And I can, I can do that and I can have goals. And so there's been a lot of changes for me, but I do think that primary one is just feeling a general sense of love for myself again that I didn't have. Mm. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. That's such a nice way to end this conversation. And anytime you want to come back, if there are other stories that you want to be able to share, any other insights. I mean, I think in another thing to, to think about is how to protect yourself during this process of healing. And I know that you have in a very beautiful way wanted to turn your experience into being a resource to other people, but have needed to do the thing that hmm, that's hard, which is to prioritize yourself during that process and to know when you have to kind of slow down and say, hmm, not today. Yeah. <laughs> I've recently gotten better at that. I've recently <laughs> gotten better at putting up some parameters for myself where I'm like, okay, today is a self-care day. hundred percent. It's all about you. Attention turns on the inside. And that is such a luxury. And so I feel really grateful that I get to have that sort of healing. And I recommend it for anybody who also feels similar to me to do the hard thing and prioritize yourself exactly what you said. And so where can people find what you're doing? So where do people find rain and anything else that you want them to look into? You can find me on social media, on Instagram exclusively. That's probably the only one I really use. And you can also find my book on Audible. It's called Still Learning. Or you can find Seduced on the Stars app or Amazon Prime. And Rain, Rain has their own website and they also have social media. So you can um, find their information through me or through them directly. So good. It's so nice to see you. Thank you. Same. I told you, I feel like we could talk forever, but I also, I also knew that there wasn't really anything that I wasn't going to want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I look forward to seeing you again, talking to you again, but thank you so much for sharing not only what you went through, but what you learned and what you want other people to know. And that's really important and what to watch out for. hundred percent. One more thing before you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you to India. I know that it is very powerful to hear her story. And I know there's so much more to it. And I'm glad she wrote a book. I'm so glad she is speaking about what happened to her. 
And what I hope comes across is how this is something that is so insidious because you are not introduced right away to just how destructive and awful and depraved it's going to be. It's all done in steps, in stages, and you kind of lower your defenses along the way. And then somehow it all gets normalized. Like, this is a good thing. This is for your benefit. This is a show of your strength, of your courage, of being specially chosen. And what becomes more important than anything else is proving yourself to the leader of this group or the leaders of any group. And that should never be the most important thing really ever in your life. What I think is really good to focus on is something that she said about how she said she's a very different person now than she was a few years ago. I'm sure she is. There are a lot of people who, in some fashion, are grateful, even though I think at the time they say that, they feel it's kind of too much of a generous term for it, but that they are happy they were able to see all the changes they could go through because of this experience. They feel empowered knowing what they can live through, knowing what they can survive. They feel good knowing that they can come out the other end. They feel good knowing that they're able to still feel hopeful about certain things. There are even some former cult members who feel happy that they were able to learn certain skills that they think that they wouldn't have learned otherwise. They talk about being very efficient with their time, talk about being very good with all the skills and the things that they take on, wanting to do a very good job. But still, I would never wish this on anyone, even if there are some positives that you might feel that you get out of it. When you think about being a very different person, though, what is true is that you come out feeling very different because you are a composite of who you were and who the cult leader has trained you to be. And then after a while, you can go back to who you were, but still there are these traces. There is sort of like this emotional and behavioral hangover that sticks with you, that makes you feel like you have been changed in certain ways that you might not even be fully aware of at the time. It just gets triggered every once in a while. One of the things that becomes different is in your ability to trust or not trust, or not even so much not trust another person, but not trust yourself because you put your trust in the wrong person, which you might think is a mark against you. The other thing that is hard for people is that they become so self-aware, so self-conscious, feeling different from the rest of the world, feeling like they're going to be judged. And sometimes that is the case. They are judged, which is cruel and unfair. And sometimes they are sort of hypervigilant about not making a mistake, about not doing the wrong thing, about not saying something that they might think is sort of odd and strange and weird that was some sort of philosophy or teaching of the group. And sometimes people say they change because they are really trying to get back this sense of having a core, 
of having a great understanding or kind of just a comfortable, confident level of understanding about who they are and what they like. When people are not sure about these sorts of things, they become disoriented. So much of what happens within cultic groups with the language that's used, with the diagnoses you're given, is that you have this growing level of disorientation because of it. And when you're disoriented, then you can really feel like you are a different person living in a different reality. When we talk about people going through these experiences, I, of course, am more than happy to continue doing this work and helping people afterwards, even helping people during, when they're involved in a cultic group or in a relationship like that, where they feel like they are ready to make a change or they're wanting to assess to see if it's safe or not, and they reach out to me. Of course, I will be here. I will help you. But what I also really want to stress is the need for there to be curriculum in schools, prevention, so people understand how to keep themselves safe. People understand how to detect a manipulator, how to detect a system of control. I did put together a curriculum that I mentioned previously in a podcast episode, and it's never been used. It was for a particular company that just decided not to use it. So there is not only my curriculum, but other people's out there where we want to get the message out to people in school that yes, you should learn math. Yes, you should learn science. Yes, you should learn a language. But if you are not able to maintain your freedom, if you're not able to maintain control over your mind, because someone takes that away, what's the use of having all of this knowledge and all of these skills? I think that it should be taught simultaneously so that people can move forward and feel like they have a lens through which they can see certain situations so they can avert them and divert them so they can prevent them. While again, People do talk about feeling stronger because they've been through a horrible experience and lived through it. I still prefer, like I'm sure they do, to never have gone through it at all. And so if you are interested in finding out more about how to put together a curriculum in schools, if that's something you would like to do for your children in their school, if you are a teacher and you want to supply people with information, be in touch or get in touch with the International Cultic Studies Association. There is a lot of information out there that unfortunately is not being utilized because at the end of the day, a school system will choose the subjects that they think keep them in competition with and keep their students in competition with other students and other school districts. But just like the arts, just like the extras, I think understanding manipulation, and systems of control, and how to navigate the world in a safer way is equally important. So I want to thank India, and I want to thank her for, again, being so open. And it is really wonderful that she's very relatable. And people can say, you know what? I could see myself experiencing those things too. She seems like someone I know, or she seems a little like me. And 
all the more reason to have people like India then talk about their experiences. Because it really can be you and it can be the person standing next to you, someone you might not expect because they don't seem or look any different. I wish India well, as I know we all do. And she is more than welcome to come back at any time to share more of her story, not only of what she experienced, but her healing process. And also now as she moves forward, how she's been able to help others because of her experiences. Take good care. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore Indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.